My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. last week I had a great opportunity to hang out with pastors in the Pacific Northwest. Once a month I drive around, head up to Seattle, go to Eastern Oregon, I hang out here in Portland. And I spent time with about 40 pastors total. We had a little bit less this time because of COVID, uh, some of the challenges and struggles and some of their relationships. It's been challenging. In fact, this was a difficult one because as we're coming together, we're talking about some opportunities and and obstacles to uh, health in a church and therefore what God wants to do in a church. We started with just checking in how we doing. And I got to be honest, it was kind of discouraging. It's kind of depressing because for whatever reason, everybody was feeling the full weight of it fall on them, uh, avalanche on them. I mean, I know we've had a difficult time because of the coronavirus. I mean, it's, it's related uh, in so many ways, uh, physical ways. You know, people are sick or they're afraid of getting sick. Uh, some have died. I get that COVID uh, coronavirus email every day from Oregon and it lists all the people who've passed away. And man, I, I read that and the, the county and the age and man, my heart aches and I pray for the families of those. You see the case numbers rise. Yeah, vaccine is around the corner, but it's a challenging physical time. Uh, But for a lot, it's a challenging emotional time. And uh, people in church are not immune from that and feeling it and then also kind of lashing out as a result of that. Uh, You know, there's just some spiritual challenges we faced, social challenges we faced. And for whatever reason, it just kind of all coalesced and the pastors were just discouraged. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, these are shepherds over churches in the Northwest and they love their people and care for their people. But, you know, sometimes we, we wrestle with this and we, we kind of come, uh, you know, to a little bit of friction and we wrestle with this and we get discouraged and we suffer and we're all suffering to some degree, some, some level we're all experiencing suffering. And I would love to preach a message on three steps to avoid suffering and how to get out of suffering and, and how to throw suffering at your neighbor and not yourself or something like that, or how to conquer suffering in 37 minutes or something like that. Here's a pill or whatever. It's just not life. You know it, I know it. We all know it now. Suffering is a reality. And an intense suffering isn't something we often experience holistically. We do individually, but now we're experiencing as a community, 
as a world, as a nation, as a state with numbers rising, as a county that's in quote unquote extreme risk, you know, that affects schools, that affects uh, the students and the teachers, you know, if you don't think there's suffering going on, hang out with the teacher, um, hang out with a student, right? Affects restaurant owners and, and patrons, you know, that's a challenge. How many of our businesses are going to struggle? People losing jobs, hourly wage people are just suffering. Um, I mean, it affects churches. Uh, people are isolated. Now, I get it. It's, it's kind of nice if you're watching online. I understand that. Uh, this summer, I took a weekend. Uh, Pastor Shane was preaching. I decided to go home and experience it with my family. And I went to Pajama Church. You been to Pajama Church? That's an awesome church. That's like Pastor Pillow, Deacon Sheets. That's awesome. You know what I mean? And um, that's kind of fun, you know? And it was kind of fun. And then it's like, um, but, I, you know, I, I want to be a part of community, you know? And so it's a challenge. Not everybody feels safe coming back because we're, we're fearful. And I'd like to say that the world is not going to have suffering. I'd like to say that, you know, within X number of days or weeks or months or whatever, everything's going to be normal. I don't know. None of us know. But here's what I know. Suffering is real. And pain and suffering is a part of life. And Christians are not immune. Followers of Jesus are not immune. In fact, uh, we experience it like everybody else. I think the response should be different, yeah? We should be different in we, the way we respond because we have Jesus in us. Uh, but Jesus promises all through the Bible that we're gonna experience pain and suffering. One of the promises of God we don't like to claim is in the world, you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna have tribulation. But be a good cheer because I've overcome the world. You don't see that on a big painting anywhere, right? In, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. That's like, I'm claiming that promise. No, no. Uh, we claim the promises of everything's gonna be okay, but you know, the reality is pain and suffering is a part of life and that's actually what causes us problems when we experience it because normally things are fine, things are level, things, you know, even keeled and then we experience suffering and we wonder what's wrong with us. What did we do? What happened? And uh, we suffer that way. In fact, people who don't even believe in God use that as an excuse for not believing God. I mean, how could you believe a God that allows pain and suffering in the world? Earthquakes and tsunamis and famines and death. I mean, all these things, fires, how could you believe that there is a good God? I mean, if there is a God, he's a cruel God, because look what's going on in the world today, right? How could he sit by and watch all this and watch people die? How could he, you know, fill in the blank, whatever tragedy, whatever horrific genocide, whatever, how could God just be there and not do anything, assuming he's not doing anything? And, and on the other hand, if there's a God and he enjoys that, I don't want to worship that God, I don't want to get close to that God. And so people keep God at bay because of pain and suffering. But it's a part of human existence. The Bible has reasons and explains about sin and brokenness and all that. Yeah, but then here we are in the middle of suffering. And, I, and again, I'd like to say there's an easy out, uh, but there's not, but there's a way through it. And today I want to talk about how to survive in the midst of suffering as we look at uh, the Apostle Peter's words. Peter is writing to a group of people that are scattered, that are dispersed because of following Jesus and they're pushed out because now they're being persecuted because they're followers of Jesus and they name the name of Jesus. They've never seen Jesus, but they've heard the testimony, the reports of how he came and how he lived and how he died and how he rose again. And they put their faith in that, but now they're suffering because they are called followers of Jesus Christians. And uh, it's gonna get worse. In fact, whether Peter knew it or not, and God knew it, is that that next year, or right after this letter, Nero was going to unleash the powers of hell and just bring incredible persecution on the church. 
that the Christians would be blamed for the, the burning of Rome and all of those things. And Christians would be put up on crosses and torched and it would just be horrible. All because they said, I believe in Jesus. Now, we haven't experienced that kind of persecution, pain and suffering, but we have experienced pain and suffering. And when we started this book, right out of the gate, Peter said, I want to talk to you about how how to handle it. But I got a couple questions to start with, and it's this. Could it be possible that God is going to do something good, even though there's a lot of bad? And if so, would you be willing, (laughs) as if we have a choice, to let God do that, right? Would you be okay with it? Because God's waiting for your answer. No, no. Uh, but in your heart, would you say, okay, God, I'm willing, I'm able to do that. And will you let God use the suffering to bring about some kind of good thing? Heather Brown, uh, she, she works here. She's a dear friend. And I've known her for the longest time. She's the longest running staff member at Sunrise. And, and she leads Grief Share. She causes a lot of grief in my life too, but I love it. And so we tease one another and have a great friendship and along the journey of leading Grief Share once, she looked at me and said, James, but just don't forget to look for the blessings. You know, I was one of those responses, like, seriously? I'm like, what are you talking about? Blessings? And she goes, no, but every time there's pain, when you turn the corner, there's a blessing. And I discovered that. And people who go through intense times, go through Grief Share, they're able to say, yes, this was horrible. Yes, that would have never imagined this, but here's what God did. And I think the same thing is going to be true when we turn the corner on COVID-19. We're going to be able to say, yeah, there was a lot of bad things. There's a lot of struggle, a lot of health issues, a lot of death. But God did something good. Early on, we see this in Peter's words in chapter 1. He starts out of the gate by saying this. He says, so be truly glad. You know, <laughs> that he's, he's not just a masochist. He's not just someone who wants to be cruel and throw words at us. He really believes we can have joy in suffering. Uh, James says it this way, count it all joy. You know, brothers and sisters, when you suffer, find the joy in this. Be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Notice the word trial. He uses it again. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. He says, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. He looks ahead in in his book and says this, and then he finishes today. But look at the word trial, the word test or tribulation or temptation. It's all used the same way in the New Testament there. It means to examine, to put to the test, you know, when, when when you're there. My, my, uh, my middle son got his driver's license. He was put to the test, right? My young son got his permit. He was put to the test. Now my wife and I are put to the test, you know. <laughs> Just teasing. Trials, temptations, troubles, they're all a part of life, right? None of us get a free pass, including followers of Jesus. Going through trials and suffering is one of the main ways, though. God uses a, a, an instrument, a tool, an opportunity a problem to grow us up to look more like Jesus. He uses the event, he uses the situation, he uses the conversation, he uses the emptiness, he uses the emotional pain to grow us up to be like Jesus, to make us more like Christ. Now as Peter wraps up, we're gonna finish next week, but as he wraps up his book on suffering as a person scattered in exile, having joy, he says it this way. He says, dear friends, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. Here's that word trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Same message. 
For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. This is an echo of what Paul said where he says, you know, in my own suffering, I'm filling up the suffering of Jesus, that when we suffer for Jesus' name, this is what they're going through, then it's like you're experiencing the same suffering Jesus did. He suffered, we suffer. And so we get to experience that. We don't, we're not dying on a cross for the people's sins, obviously, but we know what it's like to suffer. And Jesus has experienced all of the things that we've experienced, and yet he hasn't sinned, and now we can call on him. And so what Peter is saying here is that when you go through this, it's like you're walking with Jesus in a certain way. But notice he uses the word trials, but it's a little different. It's fiery trials. Fiery trials, it's the Greek word uh, pyrosis. It means a refiner's fire. And the word purosis, I don't usually throw Greek or Hebrew words out, but I thought that was interesting, purosis. What does it sound like? It sounds like Purell, right? <laughs> okay, anybody use Purell? I've got some of that in my car, yeah. Okay, especially with COVID, it's everywhere. We've got it in our foyer. You know, use it, please, hand sanitizer. It means to purify, but specifically through a process of taking it through the fire, a fiery trial. It's not just any normal ordeal. It's an intense, purposeful, go from here to here and fires in the middle. And when you start and when you come out, you're radically different. The word means a refiner fire, a purifying fire, a cleansing fire. And it really was used in that culture of a goldsmith, a silversmith, taking the element the, the rock, the compound, the whatever it is that looks, you know, you know there's gold in there and it looks like it's gold, but even the purest looking gold isn't pure because it has impurities, right? And taking that gold or silver and, and dropping it in the fire and allowing that fire to, uh, to change it, to actually melt it down so the impurities rise to the top. Now, there, there's a, an old illustration I think is powerful. And the silversmith was asked, how do you know when the silver is pure? And his response was, because I can see my face in it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not as far as somebody actually saying that, but that is true. That you know it's pure when it, it's reflective. And you know, God's vision for your life is to look like his son Jesus. In fact, we are, by the Holy Spirit, being conformed to Christ, the book of Romans says. And that means we're being shaped into this image of Jesus. And, and the only way that happens is through fire, through this intense separation time. Peter's basically saying, your trials reveal the real you. Now, I, I say it this way, and, and I don't know if this is simple, but it works for me because I like tea. You want to know what's in a tea bag? Drop it in hot water, <laughs> and then you will see. Now you know exactly, Okay. And that's like you and me. You know what's in you? Really? Drop you in hot water. Take you through a fiery trial. That will reveal the real you and what's in there. You know, physically, when you take, uh, you know, this, this clump of metal and you take it through the fire, the ore contains both the pure and the impure, both the worthy and the worthless, both the gold or silver and the dross. But you can't see the difference. You can't tell the difference because they're linked together. You can't really see where one starts and one stops. In a normal temperature, a normal state environment, they're bound together and, and you know they're there, but you, they look the same. But the only way to separate them, the only way to separate them is raise the temperature up. And maybe you've seen this. You can watch this, you know, go to YouTube and check this out. Um, you can actually watch where the metal 
just melts. Just, just like this. All of a sudden, just, just changes. It changes from a solid to a liquid. And in that process, other things start to come up and then they just scrape off the draws. And that's what Peter is saying. That you're going to go through a fiery trial. Not just a normal temptation or trouble. Not, not a normal situation. This is an intense one. To the point where you're being plunged into the fire. See, the pure can't handle the impure once the heat rises. The true can handle the fire, but the false can't. That's a fiery trial. So how does it, this you know, relate to us spiritually even? Well, spiritually, a trial or a trouble or a test shows us who we really trust. Now, now I, I, I get it. You're in church and you're, you're watching online and you're faithful to that. That's great. Um, and we would all say, you know, yeah, I trust in God. Yeah. And depending upon, right, in the right situation, in the right environment. I mean, we all have divided hearts. The psalmist, you know, cries out, give me an undivided heart. God, give me an undivided heart. Because we all have impurities in our heart. I mean, none of us love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. All? All is in like all? Because that word means like 100%. None of us. On the best of days, we struggle, right? And any relationship we have, even with God, we struggle with that. You know, but you can't really tell how pure the heart is until it's taken through a difficult time. In the same way, our heart is mixed, mixed with things. I, I, I put a couple thoughts down, uh, mixed with dreams. We have our desires and we have this love of God. And we hope they coalesce, right? Uh, we, we love money, we love possessions, and we love God. And yet Jesus says you can't love God and money at the same time. You're going to love one and hate the other. You can't have a divided heart. Or we love other people, or, or we love our identity of maybe our job, or uh, of our activity, or what we do, or what we look like. We, we all have this plus God, you know, or God plus something else. Friends, we have divided hearts. It's true. I have a divided heart at times. Sometimes I don't even know. You know, when I put my head down on the pillow, I, I, I quote Psalm 139 at night, but I go through this, you know, uh, heart, soul, mind, strength, neighbor. How, how did I do today, God? I, I get up in the morning, I ask that. I drive here. Every time I drive on the weekend, I just ask that question. How's it been? How's my heart? Is it divided? And sometimes I don't even know, to be honest with you. But I know when the fire comes, that reveals it. When things are difficult, that reveals it. A fiery trial is a trouble, any trouble that adds enough heat to your life that reveals the true trust. Just like you can't refine metal ore without heat, you can't learn to grow deep in a relationship with God without a fiery trial. I wish there was an easier way. I wish I could sell you some, you know, three-step method for something. But that'd be false. That'd be fake. Now, again, I get it. We're all in church. But Pastor James, you know, I love God with all. Yeah. But that's not really true. And you know it and God knows it. And the people around you know it. There are many things alongside of God that we add. As long as everything's going well, it looks pretty good. They're mixed together. When things fall apart, that's when it's revealed. I mean, think about it. COVID-19 has revealed a lot of what we trust in. Uh, people who've struggled in their jobs, maybe they've been laid off. Hours have been reduced, right? Maybe they've been fired. They've been terminated because there's nothing left, right? And you see how they respond and react? That reveals that they really trusted in the identity or the activity of their job. Or, or 
you know, people are isolated now and it's an emotional strain. And the way we kind of talk about it or lash out about it or work out about it, you know, it's, it's difficult. But you never know how much you trust in something else until it's taken away from you and you're threatened. Uh, fiery trials that these folks were going through was specifically because they trusted in Jesus. And that's what Paul ta- or Peter talks about next. He says this, if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. The word insulted there means that like a verbal abuse and attack uh, to be reviled or ridiculed or slandered. Again, these people are, are talking about Jesus in a culture that doesn't know or believe or understand about Jesus. Very pre-Christian culture. We're in a post-Christian culture now. And so in the same way, we could be insulted that way. But the bottom line is, is that they're being harassed verbally. But he says, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, or posting things on Facebook, or crying out. or You know what I mean? It's like, don't let that be the reason you're insulted. Because that's not, shouldn't be. How could that be a part of our lives, right? But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. That's interesting, by the way. That word is rarely used in the New Testament. It's used here. Peter's using it. First used in the book of Acts, in Antioch, Christian, a follower of Jesus, a Christian. They were Herodians. They were, add the I-A-N, and it's just, you're a follower of, okay? Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Jesus himself, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he says, hey, blessed are you. You know, happy are you. Joyful are you when you're persecuted, when you're reviled, when people say all kinds of false things against you, when you're insulted because of my name. I mean, that's how it was with Jesus. As he actually, he actually blessed, he blessed his persecutors when he was insulted and slandered and mocked on the way to the cross, on the cross. That's how Stephen did it. First martyr, first person to die for Jesus. As he's dying for Jesus, he's blessing the people there, right? Peter goes on in verses 17 and 18, says, for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? What, what he's saying is, is that God wants to purify us first as God's people so that the world can see Jesus in us. Uh, but then he's also gonna judge the world. It's a different judgment. He says also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? Now, it sounds like, man, I'm getting in by the skin of my teeth. It doesn't mean it that way. But the reality is, is that everybody will be judged, the Bible says. At the end of our lives, we'll be judged. When time is over, we'll be judged. The end of all days, we'll be judged. As a follower of Christ, the Apostle Paul says really clearly, you know, when we uh, ascend to heaven or when we, you know, die and pass on, that there is a judgment, a a bema seat, which was a a Greek understanding of kind of like the Olympic gold, silver, you know, and bronze kind of thing. When he says it's gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble, that, that fire will burn through that and test what our lives really were like. That's a good judgment. We're gonna get in, obviously, because Jesus has paid for our sinfulness on the cross, and we've received that. But there's also the reality that at the end of all days, everybody who's died will be resurrected. And, and, and those that without their names written in the book of life, Revelation says, will be cast into an eternal lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And God didn't design it for that, but we're choosing that. I like how C.S. Lewis said it. He, he, you know, it's really clear. He says, a Christian says to God, thy will be done. And we submit to him. A non-believer, God says to them, thy will be done. I'm not gonna force you into my heaven. What have you done? Have you responded to the message of Christ? 
Have you received the message of Christ? Or, or are you still in this situation that what the Bible says, you're, you're a godless sinner. Outside you look great, but on the inside you know you've rejected Christ. I hope you deal with that. I hope you in love are confronted with that. It, maybe this fiery trial is actually going to reveal that to you. You've been a churchgoer, but not a true follower of Christ, a Christian. Well, well, Peter wraps it up in verse 19. He says this, I love it. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Man, I love that. That could be a great verse this week to print out. Grab our sermon notes, get our devotional at the end of that. You can look at that. Just find it on, you know, some Bible knowledge, you know, Bible hub or whatever, Bible gateway. Just go there and write that out and stick it and put it somewhere. And look at it. If you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, if you're going, maybe not because of the name of Christ, but because of COVID, because of physical, emotional, spiritual, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you feel like you're going through a fiery trial, and do it in a manner that pleases God. Imagine what it would look like if the church rose out and, and the world looked at the reflection of the church and saw Jesus. I'm not sure that's going on right now. You know, I, I obviously can't speak for everybody, but I can watch the news and I can watch social media. And, and there are sometimes we're not doing so hot. We're, we're clinging to false idols, something else plus God, something else we've trusted in and it's fallen apart. And, and we're not gonna come out shining like gold. People aren't gonna see Jesus in us, but they could. This week, they could see Jesus Keep on doing what is right, doing good, and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. That word trust, uh, other translations, other places, it's in trust or commit, and it means to give over to someone for safekeeping. Trust, isn't that great? Give your life over to God. Give it to him, because he created you. He'll never leave you. Give it to him for safekeeping. You know what's so beautiful is in Luke when Jesus is dying on the cross and he utters these words into your hands I commit my spirit it's that same word I'm entrusting you I'm trusting you God to hold that safe to hold me safe I mean if Jesus could say it in the most intense time of suffering we can say it if he can do it on the cross we can do it today now, here are just a few thoughts to summarize as we kind of draw to a close here. Uh, Peter's summary on surviving suffering. Number one is this. The fiery trials reveal what we really trust. And again, uh, God and something else, right? I mean, fires show us our divided heart. And that's a good thing. And again, it's easy to say I trust in God alone. But when the intense comes, now you see what you've trusted in, the way we respond to that. Number two, the fiery trials are there to incinerate and destroy the dross. That's a good thing. It's a painful thing, but that's a good thing. It separates the good from the bad. Number three, fiery trials remind us that the pure can take the fire, but the dross can't, and the dross is drawn away. In the same way, God has a desire, especially in this intense suffering we're going through, to reveal it, to separate it, and to take it away from us. That's what Peter's saying. I mean, why not rejoice in that, right? That's what Peter says. Discover the joy of the intensity of what God is doing. Um, 500 years ago, the reformation of the church was an intense time of suffering and persecution for the church. 
Catholic Church was in power and people were discovering that there's faith in Jesus alone. You can trust the scriptures alone. And, and when people were coming out and saying that, they were persecuted because the church was powerful and the church had all these agendas and all these things going on. And so there were people like Martin Luther were standing up and saying, no, this is what is true. This is how you're saved. This is how you're placed in a right relationship with God is through faith in Jesus alone, not in your works, not in your indulgences, not in the practices, right? But now, not necessarily things are bad. It's just that you gotta get the correct order here. Come to Jesus and then do good works. Well, in 1555 alone, several prominent pastors in England were killed, were burned at the stake because of their faith in Jesus alone. Two of the men were John Bradford and John Leaf. When Bradford was about to be burned at the stake, Leaf was shaken in his spirit. Bradford turned to his friend as the executioners were bringing the fire, and he said to his friend these words, Be of good comfort, brother. For we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Can you imagine that? Just a few months later, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were also burned because of their belief in Christ alone. As the executioners were bringing the fire towards them, Latimer said, I thank God most heartily that he hath prolonged my life to this end, that I may in this case glorify God by this kind of death. Can you imagine that? And then he looked at his friend and he said to him, he said, be of good cheer. Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And that's truism. We are here today because of those reformers and they were willing to die, to suffer, to go through the fiery trial for us. What would people say about us in 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, how we responded in faith? History tells us as the flames went up around Bradford and Latimer, they actually raised their hands and began to pray, began to praise God. So all the people that were killing them could hear it. They praised God and they thanked God for the life they had had and the way they were dying for his sake, just like Peter said. Now think about that. I, I, I don't know what this week is gonna be like. I don't know what the rest of the year, I don't know what next year is gonna be like. But what kind of faith do you have in the one God? There's only one trust, right? There's only one basis for your life. Is it God? Because it's the only way you can handle the fiery trials. And the fiery trials prove that your faith is true and real. You know, Peter began with these words. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. I know we got caught by surprise. I know for a while we were in denial and, and I know that we kind of push back and this is not happening. But Peter says, don't be surprised. You're not the only ones who've gone through trials, right? All around the world today, people are suffering. I mean, take it out of the realm of COVID. All around the world today, there are followers of Jesus Christ that if they revealed themselves as, they would be persecuted. They would be put in jail or prison. They would be killed. They can't walk freely in the streets and proclaim the name of Christ. Pastors are rounded up and killed, put in prison because of the name of Christ. So why should we be surprised? I think we're surprised because as American Christians, we got comfortable. And we've been so comfortable with the ease to which we could live out our Christian faith. Maybe we weren't really living out our Christian faith, but a hybrid of Christianity and something else, right? Whatever we trusted in. And now we're disappointed because our comfort is shaken. I mean, I like it. 
I like comfort just like everybody else. But you know, when we walk through suffering, we're walking a journey that Jesus has already walked. After all, he suffered and died for us, right? We have a savior. I mean, if God wouldn't even spare his own son through all the suffering, why do you think we would get an easy out? We love and follow a Jesus who was betrayed by his friend, abandoned by his friends. We love and we follow and we worship a savior who, who carried our burdens to the cross, who was despised and rejected for us. We have a Jesus who carried our sins and sorrows. We have a Jesus who was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. We have a Jesus that suffered in far more ways than we could ever understand. And because of that, we can put our trust and hope and cry out to him because he gets it, my friends. He knows what you're going through. He knows the path you're walking. In fact, he's already walked it ahead of you. But most importantly, I just want to close with these words. Not only has he walked ahead of you to pave a path that you can follow in his steps, as Peter's already told us, he's walking right beside you. And I believe he's holding you in this moment. So you could hold on to him alone. Let's pray. Fathers, we think about these words. We think about the reality of suffering and pain and the fiery trials. God, may we come out shining like pure gold, pure silver. May you see your reflection in us and may that be a reflection for the world to see that we believe in Christ and Christ alone. That we have abandoned whatever else, whatever plus, whatever extra idol we've worshiped gotten accustomed to but that we truly have an undivided heart and in doing so God you're glorified and as we turn the corner on this as we walk through the next year and we see a new reality may we look back and go God thank you not for the not for the hurt and the pain and the death but thank you for the journey because you've been good to us and we're now purified And the world can see Jesus in us and be attracted to that. And in that, we're going to rejoice. We pray in your name. Amen.